Beloved, you may be one beggar helping another beggar find bread. That might be as simple as it is. So we don't boast in our strength, the gifts that God has given us, because we recognize that everything that we have has been given to us by God. So if some of us have have more of a natural bent for reading and for gaining knowledge, that is a gift by God's hand. If some people are are well-established parents and their children are very well-disciplined and ordered, that is a gift from God. So we don't boast in our strengths. We boast in who? The Lord. We boast in the Lord. But if you have received a gift, use it for the common good to build up others. God has given you this gift. God doesn't make mistakes, beloved. God has given you gifts. In Matthew 25, Jesus illustrates this principle in giving talents to his servants to use them. Uh, The ones who used them wisely, he said those beautiful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Every time I hear those words, I get chills because I know that one day I'm going to hear them. I'm going to hear them from my Savior when he calls me home. But the ones, the one who hid his talent, the one who did not use his gift to build up others, this is what was, he was told. You wicked and slothful servant. I knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I gathered no, scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him. And give it to others. Give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, will be, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. And these are scary words. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Beloved, we must realize that God has given us talents to be used not to be buried. They'll be used to build up others for the common good. We all have talents. We all have different talents, different degrees of talents. Like I said, discipleship looks different in every stage of life, but we are still called to do it, it calculated, intentionally to lift up others. So let me just give you a few questions that help you think about in your mind. When I ask these questions, ask who comes to mind? Maybe God is calling that person that you should start a relationship to do them spiritually good. Is there anyone younger than you who could benefit spending time with you? Have you ever been through something difficult, a trial that you could use to strengthen someone else who is struggling in this church? Is there anyone that lives close to you from the church? Do you have similar schedules? Do you have common interests? Do you see a weakness or an area of improvement that is one of your strengths in somebody else? But besides that, you also need to know your weaknesses. You need to to realize that you don't have it all together, that you can learn from others. I remember as a young man being in a church and and having no idea how to love my wife. (laughs) The Bible says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. I had no idea what that meant. So you know what I did? I called an elder in the church, and Steve Bauer. I said, do you mind if we get together for a cup of coffee? And I just picked his brain. How do you love your wife? How do you disciple your kids? How do you do this? And I just listened and asked questions because I knew I was deficient. 
Beloved, we have strengths, but we also have deficiencies. So when God says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in Ephesians 1.3, he's blessed the church. You may have deficiencies now that God wants to build up your strength in the life of somebody else in this church. We just have to realize that, and then we have to invite them. Because what would happen if someone came to you and said, I'd love to spend time with you. I'd love to, to pour my life into you. And you'd say, well, <laughs> I'm good, thanks. I don't need your help. Do you think that person is going to go to the next person and say, do you mind if I spend time with you? No. But men, can I say this specifically to you? There's a lot of young men who would crave a relationship with an older man to be poured into. And now I have the privilege as a pastor to develop relationships with you just because of my time. You older men, and I have learned tremendous things from you. Take that knowledge and give it. Open it up to the next generation. The second thing we see here uh, for discipleship is be clarifying. Uh, what do you do during a discipleship relationship? You want to clarify heirs uh, and truth. You want to help people grow in Christ. So primarily you do that through what? You read the Word of God together. You read a Bible passage and you just talk about it. You know, how, how it applies to your life. You ask questions from the passage. Are there any commands in this passage that I need to obey? Are there any sins that I need to confess? What does this passage say about God? What does it say about Jesus Christ and salvation? What, what passage does this remind you of elsewhere? See, beloved, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than two-edged sword. It cuts through bone and marrow, soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So if you want to, the, the what of discipleship is you, you read the Word of God and you talk about it. Well, pastor, I don't really know the Word of God. Well, then read it. <laughs> you know, find a way to learn more about it. Or maybe find someone who knows more than you. Get that knowledge and then take that knowledge and pass it on to someone who's less than you. Also, read a book together. Discuss things. There is tremendous wisdom in books. Well, I'm not a reader. Well, read an article. Read a blog. Do something. Be calculated. Be clarifying. Challenge people. Or maybe even meet and discuss the week's sermon. Hey, what did you think about that point? How did he... Is that true? How, does it, how do we apply that in our own lives? Beloved, there are so many resources for the Western Christians that we really, and I mean this, should be ashamed if we don't pursue knowledge. Guys, there are, are brothers and sisters in the world who don't have the resources that we have. The, they just want a Bible. They just want to hold their own Bible. And we have five in our house. We have listening to it on, on the internet. We can listen to sermon after sermon whenever we want, and there's people in our world who are desperate for it. And we who have it don't want it. The third thing for discipleship, be convening. Discipleship has to be done together. I'm going to skip over a lot of this because of time, but just know this. You can't disciple somebody else without knowing them. And you can't know them unless you spend time with them. Take advantage of the gatherings we already have. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night. Come a little early, stay a little late. Stick around and, and talk about things with people, right? But just say, hey, me and, me and Wade, you know, I'm going to read uh, uh, this article. Hey, read this article too and let's talk about it at church. So we talk about it for five minutes at the end of Sunday night church. Hey, is that discipleship? Yes, that is a form of discipleship. Just take advantage of that, of that time. Well, uh, we go on um, to the second section, loving the lost. Loving 
the lost. As I said, the second aspect of creating a discipleship culture is to reach out to people who do not know Jesus. I believe the first one should be pretty easy. It should be, because we believe the same thing, right? We know what's going on. We, we know that we, we should grow in Christ. We should read the Bible together. We should listen to God's Word together. That's natural. We should do that. That should be very simple. But the second part, can we just be honest, is awkward. I'm a pastor, and I love the Bible, and I love talking about Jesus. And still, it is awkward for me to bring up a gospel conversation with someone who doesn't know Jesus. It's just natural, right? It's awkward. Because what are we ingrained in our culture to think? Religion and politics are a no-no. Don't bring them up. Don't talk about it. So we just, we, we chew on that and we say, ah, what, ah, can't do that. It's awkward. What are they going to think? What if I don't know? I mean, there's just, there's just awkwardness there. Can we just, we're just going to say that. That's there. We can't, we can't deny that. Um, but there are some to say that it's just unloving. It's unloving for Christians to push their beliefs onto people. People say that. But friends, we have to understand this. It is the most loving thing we can do. Sharing the gospel with non-believers is, is consistent with our beliefs. If you're here with us and you are a non-Christian, you are not a follower of Jesus, we welcome you. We are glad you're here. But let me help you understand why we as Christians have to be adamant have to be passionate about sharing the gospel. We believe that every human being is under a curse. God created the world good without death and without sin, but man disobeyed God and brought sin into the world. So we read in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. The result of sin was death. See, death is the curse of fallen humanity. Death is is a reminder uh, to our world that something's not right. And it's also a warning. Our physical death in this life is a warning that there's ultimately going to be a, a greater death to come when we face God in judgment. The final judgment for people without Jesus Christ is to be eternally separate from God, in a literal hell for all eternity. And here's the thing. Christians believe they deserve that punishment. The difference is that Christians have been redeemed. Because we, we also believe that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be punished on our behalf. He was crucified, dead, and was buried to pay for my sin. Believer, to pay for your sin. So when God raised him from the dead, he gave you a promise. He gave you a living hope that as Christ was raised from the dead, so will you. If we don't share that good news with our neighbor, they will perish. It's unloving not to share it. Beloved, if we want to have a culture where it's normal for people to share their faith, uh, we don't need a program. We need people who love Jesus and love to share Jesus with the world. So briefly, four things. Right? There's like two minutes left. You're like, four things? Really, Pastor? Yes, briefly, four things that we can help in 
reaching the lost. First, be praying. We know that real growth, real spiritual growth, does not happen outside of God. If you read through the pages of the New Testament, read through the book of Acts, if you see God moving in power, people going from, from darkness to light, what you see is the people of God praying. Pray, church. Pray that God would grow us with the desire to share his word. Pray for those lost people. Because when you pray, two things happen. A lot of things happen, but two things. One, we trust that God is in charge of salvation, because he is. And two, we are more emboldened to share our faith, because we are thinking and asking God for help in it. The second thing, be planning. As in discipleship, evangelism is a discipline. We have to be planning our lives to do it. We have to, we have to schedule our time to, to, to have margins in our lives so we can have our neighbors over for our unbelieving neighbors over for supper. We have to go where non-Christians go. You know, if we think that if we have church every single Sunday, right, and don't invite anybody to church, well then people are going to get saved. People may get saved. They may drive by and say, hey, that's a good looking church. I'm going to go check that out, right? But primarily they're not going to come unless people are invited. We must invite them. Which brings me to the second thing, be partnering. Be partnering. Because evangelism is awkward and requires planning, do it with other people. Partner with people, right? One of the ways you partner is you bring them to church, right? You just, you know, you bring them into church and what you do is you give me a high five. They hear the gospel in the proclamation of the word and then they leave and you can talk about it, right? Just invite them to church. If nothing else, do that. But one thing I've realized in myself is that when I'm timid alone, I have power in community. Right? It's so much easier to share the gospel when I have someone alongside me. How different would it be to go talk to your lost neighbor if you went beforehand, gathered with a group of your fellow believers and prayed, and then you went with another and, and went to your neighbor together, and you knew that people were left behind praying for your encounter with your lost neighbor. That is planning and that is partnership. When you read the Gospels, read the, the epistles, you never, you very rarely find Paul doing discipleship evangelism alone. Now, he does do it. We see it several times. He does it with Philip. But primarily, he's always in a group. Why? Because there's strength in numbers. And I think we just forget that. We get intimidated and we say, well, we can't do it. Use each other. Use each other. And lastly, let me close with this. Be persistent. Be persistent. Do not give up. I mentioned this to a Sunday school class this morning. Um, Daniel uh, was in Babylon, and um, he was uh, being forced to, you know, eat food, uh, the king's food that he didn't want to eat. And he, and he asked the, the, the chief of the eunuchs, the one who was in charge, and said, can I just eat vegetables and water and then test us? And it said these words. It says that Daniel found favor with his captor. Well, what we see many, 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 many years before is King Solomon uh, praying in 1 Kings chapter 8 at the dedication of the temple. And he prayed this prayer. He said, God, uh, if, if your people rebel and sin against you and they are taken into a foreign land, and if anyone in that foreign land longs for your land and is faithful to you, let them find favor in their captors. So what we see in Daniel years and years and years later, an answered prayer from King Solomon centuries before. Beloved, can I just say this? Especially parents who have children who are, are wandering from God. Your prayers 
are never in vain. Your prayers are never in vain. God hears your prayer. But here's what God may do. God may put you in the ground before he answers that prayer. If we want to reach beyond our life, we pray. We pray and we pray. And God will prayer fruit after we're gone. Reach, reach into the place that no one can go, the next generation, in your prayers and in your proclamation. Beloved, we, we know that our Lord has promised us a harvest. He has promised us a harvest. He said, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the people of God. I pray that you would build them up. God, I pray that you would help us have a culture of discipleship. God, help us use the time that we have wisely. Help us be, be first and foremost, honor you in our primary relationships. But God, give us wisdom and who else to pour into. God, help the people of God see that you have gifted them. You've given them talents and wisdom to, to be used to build up others for the common good, ultimately for your glory. So God, we pray that you would glorify your name through your people. Use us to build each other up and use us to call people to repentance in this world. Uh, God, we love you and we want to be used by you. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for the last several weeks, we've been kind of looking at the, uh, the mission of the church. Uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we talked about the mission in terms of discipling, building up the body. And last week, we looked at the, the baptizing, the, the mission of evangelism. Uh, today will be kind of a little bit different. Normally, when I take a text description, I kind of walk through it. Uh, today is going to be a little bit more of a, of a topical message, uh, which is very hard for me to do <laughs> as, as a pastor, but I think it'd be well-rounded to kind of understand um, we'll kind of use this text as a jumping off point, and then we'll look at several other scriptures to tr- help us think through practically what it means to be um, creating a culture of discipleship. Uh, well, let me read First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 uh, through 10. I'll pray, then we'll dive into the Word of God. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the ter- church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. We know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Archaea. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of being your people. God, you are a holy God. You are a righteous God. You are a one who is merciful. 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, your love endures forever. And God, as we enter into your presence, we are reminded of our, our sinfulness, how we have wronged you this past week. And God, how we may have uh, been complaining or bitter, Father, that we have not made you a priority, that we have not redeemed the time. God, we pray that you would uh, forgive us of our many transgressions, Father, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Purify your people, Lord. God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to be a body of believers. Uh, But God, we we thank you uh, for placing us in Rock Hill uh, to be used of you in this community. So God, we pray that you would continue to uh, increase um, our favor in this community as we proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that people would come to hear and believe this good news that we hold so dear, that we proclaim today. God, we also pray for our brother who has gone out from us today to preach in Smyrna. God, we pray that you would fill Robert with your Holy Spirit, that as he opens up your scriptures, God, that the Holy Spirit would attend the word and the people of God would be formed and shaped to be more and more like Christ. God, bless that congregation through him. So God, we unite in prayer with him now that that the blessings that he experiences there, um, we share in them. Father, I pray for these people today. I pray for the heart of your church. God, I love these people so much, God. So I pray that you build them up, Lord. God, give me wisdom and clarity through your word, through the scriptures to help create a culture, a a culture of people who want to make disciples, Lord. We pray that the, the culture of this church would be formed from one degree of glory to the next as we hold fast to the scriptures, God. Let us not exalt traditions over the word of God, but God, let our traditions be submissive to the word of God. So God, I pray that I may decrease and that you may increase. God, I hide behind the cross now. God, let the name of Jesus Christ be exalted, God, and draw men unto yourself. God, we pray that you would have your way with your people. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Every year uh, during the Catholic feast of Corpus Christi, uh, the Brotherhood of Santissimo Sacramento de Minerva, uh, organize an act known as El Salto del Coracho, or the Devil's Jump. The tradition began in 1620 in a town of Castrillo de Murcia. The Devil's Jump is the culmination of a, week wor- week work, a week's worth of activities. Uh, the Brotherhood uh, places all the babies uh, born in the town over the last 12 months on mattresses in the middle of the street. And then grown men dress up as devils and run down the street and jump over the babies in an effort to cleanse them of their original sin. Uh, The tradition states that the devils jump over the babies, the the, the original sin of the babies would jump off the babies and on to the devil and cleanse them. Well, it began as a a, a Celtic, a pagan ritual. And as Catholicism moved into the area, they couldn't reverse this tradition, so they just adapted it to fit uh, the culture of Catholicism. Um, you know, apparently when Christianity came into the region, it was difficult to change the culture. Uh, every group has a very unique culture. And we look at this, this devil's jump um, that happens once a year during the festival of Corpus Christi, and we think it's crazy. 
Uh, can you imagine me dressed up as a devil jumping over babies? No, thank you, right? It seems weird, but beloved, every group has their own unique culture. A culture can be defined as a set of shared attitudes, values, or goals, practices that characterize an institution or an organization. Every group has their own unique culture, and so does every church. Park Baptist Church has a certain customs, customs and traditions, uh, certain values and goals and practices that are very unique to this church. There are other churches where the pastor doesn't wear a suit. We do here. Nothing wrong with that. That's just a custom and tradition that we have here in this church. Although this is normal, we, as the people of God, want to continue to create a culture that is more in line with the Scriptures and more aligned with the mission that God gave us. So as I said before, we've been continuing to unpack this idea in Matthew 18, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, when Jesus gave the mission to the church, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. So we've already looked at the, the two main ways that the church is called in making disciples, in the building up of the body of Christ and reaching the lost. We are called to make disciples in teaching people to observe all that Jesus commanded us and to baptize new believers into the faith in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that we've kind of laid these two foundations, uh, edification on one side and evangelism on the other. They're not competing. Our goal is to make disciples. Some people are not on, on the, the disciple track in terms of becoming Christians. Other ones are already rooted in Christ. There's only one goal, one mission, that is to make disciples. Uh, so as we looked at these last couple of weeks in terms of what those missions are, today we want to kind of unpack practically how do we do that. So I pray that this sermon will help us create a culture of discipleship. One of my prayers for this church is that I continue to pray that we would have a, a culture of, of disciples making disciples. The natural thing in the Christian life should be Christians who disciple other Christians. Because the whole mission of Jesus is to have people following Jesus. We want to help others follow Jesus. So we see that culture displayed here in 1 Thessalonians. Listen to it again and hear how this culture is, is unique. Verse 2, it says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. Now listen, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but it did come in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The church of the Thessalonians were people who believed the Bible and lived it. Isn't that what every church is called to do? Is to believe the Bible, to believe the doctrines of grace in the Scriptures and then live them out for the world to see. We jump down to verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 6. It says, What happened with these Thessalonians? You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Isn't that exactly what discipleship is? We 
imitate others as they imitate Christ. The disciples followed Jesus. The Thessalonians followed the disciples in the hope that they would become more and more like Jesus Christ. Verse 8, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Archaea, but your faith has gone forth everywhere. The people are, are living this life of faith, and it's being pronounced throughout the world. You know, Paul had heard of the faithful example of the Thessalonians. He saw the, a, a culture of people receiving the word of God with joy, that, they, that, that, that joy emanated through their lives to the watching world, through their word and deed. So it's clear when you look at the church of the Thessalonians, they were a culture of people who wanted to create disciples. Because they turned from idols to serve the true and living God, waiting for the Son to return in glory, to deliver them from the wrath to come. Beloved, this is the kind of church we should desire to be, a group of disciples who want to make disciples who make disciples. So we're going to bounce around a lot of different places in Scripture today. Uh, So have the Bible in your hands to turn or just write down the references I'll post the sermon online later today uh, so you can find it there. So the first question we want to look at, the first point in your sermon notes on the back of your bulletin, is how do we build the body? How do we build the body? Building up the body of Christ. My former pastor, Mark Devery, always would say, defining discipling as intentionally doing spiritual good to someone else. Intentionally doing spiritual good to someone else. Now, the goal of discipling is not just to be a good friend, but to do them spiritually good. The end goal of all discipleship, which I unpacked a couple weeks ago, is to help people grow into Christ's likeness. Listen to these scriptures again. Ephesians 4.13, until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And verse 15, of Ephesians 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Colossians 1.28. Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ or complete in Christ. And again in Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his Son. So that he, in order he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So I want to give you just some practical ways that you can think about discipleship. That you can help others grow up in salvation. They can become more and more like Jesus Christ. So in order to disciple well, we first have to be calculated. Be calculated. We need to be deliberate and intentional in who we disciple and how much time we are willing to invest and can realistically devote in discipleship. Now, it's one thing for a pastor to come up and say, disciple. I think we all would say, well, that's what Jesus wants. If that's what Jesus wants, that's what we should want. But you need to do this first. Know your priorities. Know your priorities. God has established relationships that are, that are to be most primary in life. Husbands, Disciple your wives. Wives, build up your husbands. Father, mother, your job is to pour your life into your 
children. Discipleship always starts in the home. If we don't preach that, we are not going to have a strong church. So if you're a stay-at-home mom, your discipleship is going to look very different than someone who's recently retired or, or someone who has teenagers or someone who's single. Discipleship looks different. But you have to ask yourself, what are my first priorities? And your first priorities should be the relationships you invest in most. most. So let me ask you a few questions. Parents, specifically. Do you have a plan for the discipleship of your children? Are you reading the Bible together as a family daily? Are you catechizing your children in the basic doctrines of the Christian faith? Now, I've gotten some, some flack from some of you that the word catechize is, is too Catholic. I understand that. But listen, we have to pass on the truths of the word to the next generation. How are we going to do that? The catechism is just a tool. If you don't like that tool, use another one. But do you have a plan to pass on the truths to the next generation? Are you helping to apply this wisdom to all areas of life, to relationships with their siblings, to their relationships with their friends? Are you helping them grow in the love for others and in love for, love for God? If we want to create a culture of discipleship in the local church here at Park Baptist Church, it starts with a culture of discipleship in the home. So let me just say this. I'm a young, I'm a young man and I have a lot to learn, uh, but fathers, uh, join me. <laughs> join me on the mission to disciple our families. Let's, let's fight the war. Let's equip the next generation in our homes. Let us love our wives as Christ loved the church. Let us pour ourselves, sacrifice our, our time, our hobbies, our passions for the, that well-being of our children. Let's do it together. I'll pray for you, you pray for me. As we see our, our church being formed into the likeness of Christ. So after you know your priorities, secondly, you have to know your strengths. Listen, God has gifted you. When God calls you from darkness to himself, he gives you his Holy Spirit. He gives, he's given you unique gifts for the building up of others. Listen to God's word from 1 Peter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As God, as good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And again, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each, to each believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every Christian has a gift and a talent that they're supposed to give to others. And I think one of the reasons that people do not intentionally pour themselves into others that they think they have nothing to offer. What do I have to offer to someone else? If you believe that, you are not believing the Scriptures. That is a lie. The Bible says that each of you has a gift by God. 